Quick Rain, episode 71. It's a fake! Disclaimer, this is a long rant, not a quick rant. You have been warned. 45 gave a speech in the Rose Garden on February 15th, 2019, that if it will not live in infamy, will live in my memory as the most confused, rambling, contradictory, delusional, and disorganized spewing of lies I have ever heard. A short synopsis of 45's rambling can be summed up in the following few points. One, his administration is currently, without a new wall, doing a great job of stopping illegal crossings at the border. The best job ever. A great job. No one has ever done a better job. It's simply the best. He also doesn't need a wall, but it would make his job easier. What you also didn't see was me doing the Trump hand movements because I couldn't stop myself as I started saying, the best job ever. Greatest job ever. Smart people say it's amazing. His second point, more immigrants than ever are trying to enter the country illegally because he has made America great again, and when it's great, everyone wants to be here. Point three, every day, drugs and criminals are coming across the border in the areas that lack a wall. They do not come in at points of entry, but at the areas without border fencing. And everyone knows it, even if I'm not going to cite a single example to support this claim that everyone knows that they don't come in at ports of entry, but at areas that lack border fencing. More on that later. Point four, Mexico will finally be paying for the wall through the revenue generated from his new USMCA trade agreement. Uh-huh. Get to that one later, too. It is important to note that this summary I just gave is far more coherent than anything 45 said at any point in time during his Rose Garden speech. At most points in that dissertation, it was clear that he barely understands anything that he was discussing beyond broad cable news bullet points, and that he was sleeping through the briefings that his staff gave him, or tweeting, and that he has absolutely no data whatsoever to support any of his conclusions, or you might call them delusions, almost all of which are wrong or factually incorrect, or half-truths at best. Before, however, we go into each of these Trump statements, let's deal with why this isn't actually an emergency. Ready? Hold on. Because it isn't. Illegal immigration is a problem, yes. Not all problems are emergencies. I'm out of toothpaste. That's a problem. It is not an emergency. I have a headache. It's a problem. It's not an emergency. I'm having a heart attack. That is an emergency. In the case of the government, an emergency is typically a natural disaster, like a wildfire, the San Francisco earthquake, Hurricane Katrina, or maybe a military problem. Or maybe you need to quickly freeze the assets connected with the funding of a terrorist group or a belligerent or hostile state, and you need to put a sanction through very quickly. Past presidents usually used the act in that regard. There are people telling us, in defense of Trump, that national emergencies are commonly declared by the president. They're correct. There have been 60 of them done before, including Donald Trump. Before this, including Donald Trump, nearly all of them have been in relation to freezing trade with a nation we are at war with or 
somehow sanctioning economically. These actions need to be swift in order to cut off resources and cash flowing to these hostile nations. These actions are usually limited in scope, and the key here is they are not used to override a decision Congress has made or to usurp the power of Congress in any way. They're taken because action needs to be swifter than Congress is generally capable of doing and because we lack the time to allow them to litigate that action. This action is far different. It is different because Trump is overriding Congress with this action. The president proposed or requested $5 billion for building a border wall. Congress denied that request and countered with a number that was far lower. The president then had two options. Legally, he has two and only two options in this case. Sign the spending bill or veto it. Not wishing to veto it, the president went all Jim Kirk and created a third option because he didn't want to be Kobayashi Marud, and he chose to sign it and then declare a national emergency to reapportion funds so that he received the funding he wanted for his wall. Let's figure that out here. Trump is declaring a national emergency as the result of a spending bill that he signed. Gotcha. This is a direct usurpation of the power of Congress. Article 1 of the Constitution gives Congress exclusive control over appropriating funds. Now, while the National Emergency Act does give the president the power to reallocate funds when he uses it, it has generally been to shift existing defense funding to meet the emergency at hand because, as I said before, there isn't time for the full Congress to debate it and go through the procedures needed to approve it. If we were under invasion from, say, China or Russia, and a national emergency was created because there was a landing in California, we really don't have time to let Congress debate where we need to shift the military spending to to meet this threat. Even if it was just a day, by that time, we could have failed to stop the advance and they could be into the Rocky Mountains. This power generally falls under the president's role as commander-in-chief. You could also, you know, fall it under the necessary and proper clause. The point is that it's generally to meet something unexpected where Congress lacks the time to litigate it. I ask you, what the hell is going to happen in 60 days, 6 months, or a year? if it waits that long until the next budget's out, that will lead to the collapse of the United States if funding to build additional fencing on the Mexican border is not voted into place in that time period. What disaster on a national or even regional scale is going to happen? No disaster. Nothing. Nothing is going to happen. Yes, there is a problem. But mass amounts of people aren't going to die if action isn't taken in the next 10 days. You're not going to have 7,000 people die because we failed to take emergency action. This isn't like Hurricane Katrina where we need to reallocate clean drinking water and medical supplies or shitloads of people are going to die. We're not looking at the destruction of large swaths of land and property if we don't act. We don't have rising floodwaters that need emergency dams put into place to redirect that water. The economic infrastructure is not at risk. We're not looking at an imminent collapse of the stock market. We're not looking at the loss of, of our banking industry, okay? What happened in 2007 when Bear Stearns and Lehman Brothers collapsed was probably more of an emergency than this because the entire financial system just about went under. That's not about to happen. The government is not in immediate jeopardy of falling or not being able to function if we don't take action on a southern border wall in the next year. 
and there's no credible military or terrorist threat. And you can ask border control about border patrol about where the terrorists are coming through. We don't need a wall. Now I hear you yelling, Scott, about lives lost. Scott, the angel moms, the angel moms. Angel moms are tragic. They're absolutely tragic. It's, it's terrible. They lost their children. Their children were murdered by a monster. And I feel horrible for them. But what are we actually saying with angel moms? That all undocumented immigrants kill? I hear you again. Of course not, Scott. But some do. And if we had a wall, those undocumented immigrants wouldn't have been here and they wouldn't have been able to kill. And those angel moms would still have their children. We need to protect our communities. Can't refute the logic there. If they weren't in the country, they couldn't have killed. But what are we saying here? Citizens don't kill? So let's take it to its logical conclusion. How many angel moms are there who have lost their children to citizens who murdered them? Do we need to build walls around our neighborhoods to keep out the citizens who are bringing murder into our communities? Do we need to do that to protect angel moms who lost children to citizens? How do we do that? Or are you telling me it's not as bad? When a mom loses her child to Ted Bundy or John Wayne Gacy, you telling me it hurts less? Are you telling me it's any more of a problem? Does it become a state of emergency because Jeffrey Dahmer killed someone's kid? Or many people's kids? Or is it just an unfortunate reality that some people are sick in the head and screwed up mentally and choose to murder? Stop making it sound like murder is a thing that only undocumented immigrants do. Because when you trot out angel moms at every border wall discussion, that's what you're doing. You're saying, look, these people kill our children, and here's the moms who've had their children killed. You're saying that murder is a crime that is committed by illegal immigrants and asylum visas. It's just not true. Yes, some do. Just like some citizens kill. We don't ban all citizens. It's just that simple. You're trying to reduce this to, these people would all be alive, and maybe those specific people would. But you're sitting there trying to say some of them murder, so we keep them all out. Well, some citizens murder, so should we toss them all out? There's an extremism going on there, and it's an invalid argument. It's not a logical argument, it's not a correct argument, and it's a borderline racist argument. Yes, there is a drug trafficking problem, and a human trafficking problem. And there's also the problem of having a large amount of undocumented individuals living in the United States. That creates a safety and security problem because we really do need to know where you're residing. We need to be able to figure out where you are if you become a problem or if you go missing. Not being able to do that makes policing communities far more difficult and it's a drain on public funds. Quite simply, as much as we would love to have our American rights to freedom and I'm a good libertarian, we have to be on the grid and the system needs to know where we are so that we can maintain law and order. So yes, large amounts of undocumented people living in the country is a problem. Is it an emergency? No, it's not an emergency. There's about 10 million people undocumented, and that sounds like a huge number until you realize that that number is like 3% of the population of the country. It's not a statistically significant number that's leading us on the border of anarchy. You're over-exaggerating the problem. It's like when people say that we can solve the budgetary crisis by cutting out NASA's spending, which is something like less than 1% of everything that we spend. It would be like saying that if you make $2,000 a month and your mortgage is $5,000 a month, that you can make your finances work by cutting off cable. It doesn't work. It doesn't work that way. The thing is, 
This is a problem that has been existing forever. And the United States keeps right on going. Hasn't stopped us. We're making America great again. Just listen to the president. But not only that, not only is it a problem that's been around forever and isn't a national emergency that is imminently about to destroy the country, the problem is less severe today than it was 19 years ago. Despite what the president says, the immigration problem is not an emergency. It's a problem that we have a handle on and have been slowly resolving and is not anytime soon likely to destroy the American Republic. Now, let's backtrack to what 45 said during his speech and focus on the lies and contradictions. Let's start with the contradiction. And I mean the contradiction. The contradiction of all contradictions. It's amazing that he actually said this because everything that comes after it just becomes nonsense. 45 stated expressly that he did not need to do this, and by this, he meant declare an emergency to build a wall. He stated that the wall doesn't need built because no administration has ever done the job he is doing on border security. Well, sir, if you don't need to do this, where is the emergency? If your administration is doing the greatest job ever without a wall, then why do we need a wall? Why is there a national emergency if your administration is doing better than anyone else ever has securing the southern border? This declaration of pride, this massaging of his own ego, contradicts everything he said in the remainder of his incoherent diatribe. But Trump had to Trump even when it destroys his own case. You see, Donald, there can't be a crisis on the border with drugs, crime, and sex slaves coming across the border daily, with more people than ever trying to get in because America's great again, if you are doing the best job ever securing the border. The two things can't coexist. Why? Because the numbers that support Trump doing the best job ever at border security is that arrests at the border are almost as low as they ever have been. And this is the thing. Donald's partially correct here. Although he's wrong when he says that no one has ever done it better, he's partially correct in that he's doing one of the best jobs ever. I say Trump is only partially correct here because over the course of his eight years in office, um, arrests at the border under Obama are pretty much on par with what Trump has done in his time in office. And during the 70s, the early 70s, up until about the Reagan era, the number of arrests at the border are on par with what uh, has happened during Trump's time as well. Although if you adjust for population growth, Donald probably has the edge over the numbers from the 70s. So, hey, Donald is partially telling the truth here. He is doing as good a job as any president has ever done without a wall. And that's key. Let's move on to point number two, where Donald says more immigrants than ever want in the country because he has made America great again. False. There's no equivocating here. It's just pants on fire false. This is something Trump wants to be true. It's something that makes sense in your head when you hear it until you think about it or look at the numbers. If it's better than ever here, then it makes sense that more people than ever will want to be here. It does sound correct. However, every piece of information we have to track this says the opposite is occurring. And one of the reasons that's being cited is that people are not staying in America or heading back home because of family reunification. According to a Pew Research poll in November of 2018, 
the number of undocumented immigrants was at its height in 2007 at 12.2 million. In 2016, that number is down to 10.7 million. Further digging into these numbers, from 2011 to 2016, there are an estimated 386,000 annual illegal arrivals in the country, compared to 715,000 annually from 2002 to 2007. That's a 46% decline in those two time periods. That's not all, though. There's other stuff down. Arrests at the border are down. In 2000, we made 1.67 million arrests at the border. In 2018, without a new wall, we made 403,479. Now, I know that's saying who we've arrested, but you also have to pair that with the number that says that there are less people arriving every year and less people actually in the country. So what's going on here is arrests at the border are down 76% or 75%. Arrivals in the country are down 46%. There's less people trying to get into the country. We're doing a better job of stopping them, but there's less people trying to get into the country illegally, which is why arrests are down at the border, because there's less people trying to get into the country as well. But as Billy Mays would say, but wait, there's more. Unaccompanied minor detentions are down overall from 2014 highs. So nope, we're not just trying to sneak kids into the country too. That is down. We're, we're detaining less minors that aren't accompanied by an adult because there's less attempts at crossing. In literally every way we can track unlawful immigration at the southern border, the numbers show the problem is getting significantly better. Less people are trying to cross. We're doing a better job at catching the people who are trying to cross illegally. You know what is up, though? The number of asylum seekers. But this also supports that we're getting a handle on the problem because that's legal migration. People showing up seeking asylum, even if they do so in caravans for protection, are trying to follow the legal system to get into this country. And as everyone says, if you want in the country, go through it legally. That's what's going on. That's what you're seeing with the number of asylum seekers up. So again, this number shows that the tactics used since 2000, and mostly since 2008, are working. Thanks, Obama! Moving on to point number three. Drugs and human sex slaves are entering at the areas of the border lacking a wall, not the legal ports of entry. Oh, Donnie, your pants are on fire right now, according to the U.S. Customs and Border Protection Statistics. Most of the illegal drugs seized occur at legal points of entry. Of the drugs caught being smuggled into the country in 2018, 90% of the heroin, 88% of the coke, 87% of the meth, and 80% of the fentanyl were intercepted at legal crossings. I hear you again. That's just what's been caught. Well, hang on, because according to our Border Patrol agents and officials who analyze this data for a living and strategize to stop it, that data accurately reflects where the drugs are being moved. But don't ask me, ask Gil Kerlikowski, the former head of the CPB and the Office of Drug Control Policy under Obama, who said that data from law enforcement and arrested smugglers that has been collated indicates the cartels are using the busy points of entry primarily because this is a volume game. We can't check every vehicle coming across, even at a wall, even at a controlled border, 
So the sheer amount of volume lets them hide in plain sight and gives them a better chance of getting their shipments through the border. Contrary to what Trump said in the Rose Garden, the drugs are coming in through the busy legal points of entry, and everyone knows that. The only one thinking they are moving massive loads of narcotics and sex slaves through rural areas that are not walled is 45. Just think about this for a second. What gives you a better chance to hide? What gives you a better chance to get your illegal shipment through? Being one car among 100,000, knowing that they can't check 100,000 cars? Or being one car trying to drive through an unwalled area of the border and hoping that nobody sees you? Maybe you make that run once. But as you keep making that run, eventually someone's going to see your one car suspiciously crossing the border on its own, and you're definitely getting checked. What gives you the better chance? It's pretty clear. It's a volume game, especially for the cartel. The cartel doesn't care if you get arrested. The cartel just looks at it and says, what is my best chance of moving as many drugs as possible across the border as quickly and efficiently as possible? Of course, it's the massive points of entry. It's not scattering them to the winds and trying to sneak them across in, in single carloads or small convoys across unguarded areas. This is where they're doing it. And everyone knows it, despite what Donald tells you. But unlike Donald, I'm going to link the article that shows you where the proof of this is and why the people who do this for a living are telling you this is where it's happening. This is what our best intelligence says. Finally, point four. Mexico's paying for the wall through the new trade agreement. This one's actually the simplest one of them all. Even if a trade surplus resulted in real money that's sitting in a bank account somewhere that Mexico has access to, which it doesn't, it doesn't work that way, or if U.S. tax revenues had increased by $7 billion as a result of the USMCA, which is doubtful, the USMCA hasn't been ratified yet and its provisions don't go into effect until 2020. Therefore, it is impossible that the USMCA is paying for the fucking wall. The earliest it could pay for the wall is 2020. And that could only be proven that it was paying for the wall if each company in America kept track of how much extra revenue and profit it made as a result of us changing from NAFTA to the USMCA and the extra taxes they paid as a result of that extra revenue. 45 really wants you to believe that he kept that campaign promise to make Mexico pay for the wall. And you know what? I would want to too. If I ran around the nation campaigning, leading my followers in cheers like I was the fucking rock, yelling, who's going to pay for the wall? And waiting for them to yell back Mexico. It's like when the rock goes, and the millions. And the crowd goes, and millions. Look, if I ran around like that, saying Mexico was going to pay for the wall, and I led people like a cult leader, then yeah. I would want to make it seem like I actually made Mexico pay for the wall because you look like an ass when the answer isn't that Mexico is paying for the wall, but the truth, which is the American taxpayers paying for the wall. And it looks even worse when you factor in the fact that this tax cut gave the average American a 2% cut while giving billionaires and massive companies like Amazon 15% tax breaks because, you know, Warren Buffett needed that 15% tax break. I mean, how else is he going to pay for the diamond-encrusted toilet bowl brush that his cleaning staff wants? As I wrap this up, there's one more question I should address. Why do I care? Why do I even care? Why do I care that President Trump declared a state of emergency that has been done 60 times before 
to reallocate funds to build a wall. It's not like he declared himself emperor. It's limited to building a wall. What he's doing with this power, this extra legal power, is simply building a wall to protect us. Why do I care? It's only six or seven billion dollars. I've already said that this is a drop in the bucket. It doesn't mean anything. So why do I care? The answer is complicated. Believe it or not, I am a center-right moderate. I tend to vote Republican. I'm pro-Second Amendment with some oversight and controls. I'm pro-border security. I'm anti-abortion. I don't want open borders. I don't have an issue with border fencing. We do need to control our borders. We do need to vet applicants for entry. We can only take in so many refugees without overtaxing our system. Border security is an issue. And while we do a better job at it now than we ever have, it is still something we need to improve upon. A big part of our drug issue and our human trafficking issue is tied to leaks in border security. I care first and most significantly because the president is acting outside the powers of the Constitution. Our government works and is stable because the Constitution is a brilliant document that grants enough power to the government to govern effectively as well as meet and resolve any crisis that may arise. It also checks that power by division of powers between legislative, judicial, and executive branches. Trump right now is bypassing the Congress. The Constitution expressly gives Congress and only Congress the power of the purse. 45 could not convince Congress to give him funds for the wall that he built and promised his base. And yes, Congress did it as an act of spite. They are spiting him. They're only refusing that funding because Donald Trump wants it. And that happens when you're a raging dick to everyone. They take a chance to spite you when they can. Don't be an asshole and people might be willing to work with you. AOC is going to find that out shortly from her own party. But the issue here is Congress has the power to appropriate funds, and only Congress. When Trump was denied, he said, I want my wall, and I will have my wall because I'm a child. So I'm declaring an emergency that I admitted myself as an emergency in a speech declaring said emergency so that I can move around funds to build my wall over your objection Congress. You told me no, I'm saying yes because I'm Trump and I get my way because I walk into a boardroom because I own that company, whether people agree with me or not, I get my way. He's using Congress as if it's his executive board where he asks their opinion, but since he owns 51% of the shares, their opinion doesn't matter. He gave them a chance to confirm they didn't, he did it anyway. He thinks he can treat Congress the same way. This isn't a president taking emergency executive action to safeguard the nation. This is a president disregarding the Constitution because his ego has been hurt, and he wants to prevent losing face with his base. There isn't a crisis on the border. Unlawful immigration is significantly down. A wall is not even needed. The actions we are taking, supplemented with drones, more agents, surveillance, and a better, more open, faster screening and immigration process, can bring it more under control. If you add a wall to that, great. Get it funded by Congress. Stop being a dick about it and actually position that you want a wall more because we think it's for the things that you're saying and less because your base just doesn't want any more people from a different culture immigrating into the country. Because some of us don't believe this wall is about border security. Some of us believe that this is quite simply about stopping immigration, period, 
because it makes people uncomfortable and they're afraid that their culture is going to be subsumed by a different culture. There was no need to take extra legal action to push through this campaign promise. Yet it happened. As genius a document as the Constitution is, it only works if those in power agree to follow it, both in spirit and in principle. When the president, the chief protector of the Constitution, is constantly searching for ways to bypass it to assuage his ego, make him look good to his base, and be able to act unilaterally when Congress doesn't support him, then that document becomes useless. And it doesn't matter if that president is Donald Trump or Barack Obama. When Barack Obama was legislating with executive action, I said it was wrong then, it's wrong now. If you are creating laws through executive order, that's wrong. Congress creates laws. If you're shifting funds that are not to meet a real national emergency that Congress doesn't have time to, but probably would, then that's wrong because you're appropriating the power of Congress for yourself within the presidency and you're destroying the foundations of our system. When any of these branches, executive, judicial, legislative, choose to act in their own interest, rather than in the manner permitted to them by the Constitution, the system becomes fragile and in danger of failure. The framers designed our government with a bias towards gridlock. They wanted it to be tough to pass legislation to create change so that consensus was needed and that one person could not impose their will on the country. It was not supposed to be easy. The system was designed to be tough so that we have to talk, compromise, build consensus, and that we know that any change that was made that was of any significance was something that all Americans were okay with, with both sides losing something to win something and neither side getting all that they wanted. It prevents dynamic rapid change, yes, but it also breeds stability, which in the end might be more important to the longevity of a nation. That is why I care that Trump has declared a fake emergency to override Congress and usurp appropriation powers to get his way. It sets a bad precedent. Yes, every president since 1976 has done this, but go look at what they did it for. They weren't to override Congress. They were to take limited action that required speed, usually with trade relations with belligerent or hostile nations or restricting funds from certain individuals and people. This is different, both in spirit and scope, and it's dangerous. I close with this. Remember, just because you agree with the decision that one rogue leader is taking today doesn't mean you will agree with the decision made in 2024 by President Ocasio-Cortez when she uses it to further one of her own crazy agendas over the objection of Congress. We'll never stop turning. This has been a quick rant of Raving Lunatic Media Production. If you like this podcast, please give it a five-star review and tell someone about it. If you hated it, hey, please tell someone about it as well. You can all call me an idiot liberal cuck, and I'll say thank you as long as you listen to the show first. As always, thank you for listening.